Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, urging us to move boldly when the Spirit calls us. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. On January 12, 2010, a lot of you guys probably remember this, there was an earthquake that hit Haiti. 16 miles from the, uh, the capital uh, was the epicenter near Port-au-Prince. It was so large, it was a 7.0 earthquake, so massive that there was over $8 billion worth of damage on that small island. Over 230,000 people died. Can you believe that? I mean, this is a massive destruction and it was kind of just a little blip of a story in America. It just didn't hit America as strong as you might think. Decimated that island. Several years back, uh, about probably about eight years ago, Scotty and I uh, traveled to the island of Haiti uh, to meet with the largest NGO in Haiti. It's called Mission of Hope. And they had called us asking us if we could help them figure out how to build a rice and bean operation where we could produce uh, meals, uh, individual packed meals and bulk packed meals from the rice and the beans that were produced locally on their island. And their goal was to get self-sufficient. They had become so dependent on free food from the United States that their local economy was falling apart. The people weren't working. They were starving. There were no jobs. It was really bad. And so people don't really understand that in America. They think that when we just go give free stuff in disaster situations, then we keep doing that, that we're fixing Fixing things are actually making things worse. There's a time for triage and fixing, and then there's a time to help rebuild. And so uh, America was not doing that well at that time. We were doing a really poor job of putting medical communities back in place and manufacturing back in place, and it was really causing that island a lot of struggle. So we went to see if we could help. And we met a guy named Bob King. He was the, CEO, uh, the COO of Mission of Hope, and we were touring his facility, and he walked by and showed us his ambulance he was very proud of, and we were thinking, oh, that's kind of okay. Nice ambulance, right? Um, and he was very proud of this ambulance, but he said there's a great story behind this ambulance. He said, there was a guy that kept calling me, months and months of calls, persistent that I'm supposed to have this ambulance. And he's like, we're not a hospital. We don't have medical people. We don't want an ambulance. And so he was politely telling this donor, you know, money, yes. Ambulance, no, I don't want an ambulance. Like, stop calling. And this guy just kept calling and calling. He said he was insanely persistent and kept saying, God's telling me that you're supposed to get this ambulance. You need this ambulance. You're supposed to take this ambulance. And after months of this, he was like, I don't know what is going on with this fruitcake. But he's like, I took the ambulance. And he sent not only the ambulance, but the guy sent a missionary that was, uh, that was a medic. You know, he was an EMT and he knew what to do in, in, in crisis situations. A week later, after he received the ambulance, the earthquake hit Haiti. They have a large compound there, you guys. That ambulance and that ENT was the lifeline to hundreds of thousands of people that were injured and hurt. They became a hospital overnight because they had an ambulance and an EMT that knew what to do with that ambulance. Many lives were saved because the Holy Spirit said to a man, you need to give an ambulance to those guys. And the man's like, why? Why is this Holy Spirit putting it on it? And he responded, he responded. 
And so the mission, the, the, the mission of this story is to help us see that when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, if you can lower the threshold of your belief in what he's saying and act quickly, you may in fact save many lives in a way that you had never possibly imagined. The Holy Spirit is alive, he's working, and he's moving through men like us to do mighty things, incredible things, miraculous things, supernatural things that are outside of what we understand because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And he's still alive, you guys. That story struck me. I could not believe it. You know, if you go to Mission of Hope today, they still have the only prosthetics operation on the island. In that whole time, they had to start making prosthetics for people who had lost limbs. And they've got an entire prosthetics operation still at the Mission of Hope because of that activity. It's one of the coolest things you'll ever see. So we're going to talk about this book, this chapter in Acts, verses 1 through 13, in two divisions. Verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the disciples baptizing the Spirit, and then verses 5 through 13, the disciples are going to witness to the world. So we're just going to break it in two chunks for us real quick, guys, and motor through it. So let's pray together, and we're going to let God speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is active. We have a lot of things holding us back from hearing him and then responding when he's talking, Lord. And so I pray tonight is that these precious men, my brothers and me included, Lord, that we'll drop and lower our threshold of being able to hear and to respond to your precious Holy Spirit, Lord. Sensitize us, Lord. Get our hearts tuned to your spirit and help us be men that move, Lord. So Lord, speak to us through this text now. In your name we pray, precious Jesus, amen. So verses one through four was pretty clear. No one got confused on this. The disciples were baptized by this Holy Spirit. They're all together at one place. It's a major feast. It's Pentecost. They're in one place. We're not clear where it is. It doesn't say where they are. It just describes it as a place. Most scholars believe that they were probably somewhere either in the temple or very close to the temple. Temple's big, you guys. The, uh, the areas where the, the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles was something like 30 he 35 square hectares. It's big, whole hundreds of thousands of people. So they thought they were somewhere in that area. The day of Pentecost was one of the three major feasts where they were called to migrate from their homes and come to Jerusalem. So one of three major feasts that that was designed for. It was also called the Feast of Weeks or the first harvest of the wheat. The barley had already harvested, and now the wheat is being harvested. It's the first harvest of the wheat. The, the feast was held 50 days after the Sunday following Passover. So 50 days, the Sunday following Passover. So that's where the word 50 comes from. Pentecost is Greek for 50, right? The Hebrew word that's still used today to describe this feast, this feast is called Shavuot. Shavuot, S-H-A-V-O-U-T. They still describe that major feast. So and that, that word means weeks. So it's seven weeks in a day. So they described it as weeks, and the Greek word was 50. So Pentecost 50, Shavuot is weeks. Jesus is resurrected on a Sunday, you guys. It's meaningful. Three days after his crucifixion, which was Passover, he's resurrected on that Sunday. Pentecost is a Sunday. We still celebrate it 50 days after Easter. So if you look at our liturgical calendar, which we don't do particularly well in the Protestant faith, the Catholic faith tracks the liturgical calendar pretty carefully. 
Pentecost is the 50th day after Easter Sunday. We celebrate that still. It's important, you guys. It's an important day, you know? And Sunday falls there because that's when Jesus' resurrection was. He arose on a Sunday. So that's why that Sunday is important to us. In Deuteronomy 16, it says, all the men must go to the temple for this particular feast so they would travel and travel to Jerusalem for this feast from all over the world. And we hear that. God-fearing Jews from every nation. Some guessed there was upwards of a million people in this area at the time. And uh, we know that the temple can hold at least about 250,000 people in the temple uh, courtyards and area. City of Jerusalem could easily hold a million people inside its walls. In fact, Josephus, who was a historian at that time, non-Christian Jewish historian, he was just writing in the first century, said that they have evidence that they could fit over two and a half million people into the city walls of Jerusalem. So it wouldn't be hard to imagine a million people there, 250,000 of those in that temple space. So when these guys get up to talk, there's a large audience. It's a big group of people, right? So very big space. Um, and we find out that this wind comes, and we love it because he says it sounded like a wind. He didn't say it was a wind. He said it sounded like a wind. So I don't know if you've ever been in a hurricane or tornado. When you hear a big wind, like that, it scares the poop out of you, right? Like, it's scary, man. Like, it's not something you go, oh, a little wind action here, right? So it's got a big sound to it, right? The Hebrew word that they use to describe the spirit in, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is ruach. And ruach is the same word for spirit and wind. In the Greek, the word is pneuma. Pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, pneumatics, right? So it's the Greek word for wind and spirit. Same word. Isn't it interesting? It sounds like a wind, and the word for spirit is wind. Powerful picture here in your head. And so then you see that they're accompanied by tongues of things that seemed like fire, but weren't fire. Where did we see that? Moses standing near a bush that's burning, but it's not burning right? It's like I'm standing by the bush and it's not getting consumed by fire. So it looks like fire, but it's not fire. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it can manifest itself in what we would call supernatural ways. They're not natural. They're supernatural. They're outside the natural, right? They're not something that you would expect. This is how you know it's the Spirit. It can do that. How do we know that? Because the Spirit of God was there before creation, it was hovering over something that didn't exist and helped create things. God's spirit can do whatever it wants, right? It's got that kind of power. And we also see that John the Baptist predicted this was gonna happen. He said, one more powerful than this is gonna come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John the Baptist predicted this event would come exactly as he said it would come and it did. So the book of Acts is in fact the story of the power of the Holy Spirit working through these disciples of Jesus Christ in a way that we've never seen and would never see if the Holy Spirit had not done that. Why? Because they're men with natural limited ability. They have fears, they got emotional problems, they got all kinds of issues, and the Holy Spirit's like, I get it, I understand, and Jesus said, I'm gonna send you something that you don't have because you're gonna need it because I got a job for you to do that's gonna need every bit of what I'm gonna give you. So this is what the book of Acts is about. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, but he's distinct from Jesus and he's distinct from God. The Holy Spirit is God. This is critical, you guys. This is where we get a lot of confusion in both the Jewish space and in the Muslim space. They say that we're polytheistic and we say, no, we're not. We worship one God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We see this in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God was in the beginning with God. So how could it be anything other than God? The Spirit was with God. He is God, right? That's why he was there. He was there at creation. 1 Corinthians 2-11, we pointed to this text. It says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the only one that knows the thoughts of God, which means he's God, right? This is proof that he's God. And in Matthew 3, at the baptism of Jesus Christ, we hear God speaking and saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we watch something that looked like a dove descend on Jesus. And John says it was the Holy Spirit descending on him. And there's Jesus. So we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, distinct, different, all there together, equal in power and equal in purpose. The Holy Spirit is God. He's unique. He's different. And he's personal. The other thing that we see in the Holy Spirit is that he's personal. In fact, most theologians say that the Holy Spirit is person. He speaks, he thinks, he describes, he transforms, he moves, he convicts, he comforts, he does lots of things. He's described with a pronoun, he, in all of these places, right? So we see the spirit and the fullness of who he is look very personable-like, right? So most theologians say that the Holy Spirit is God and he's a person. This is very unique to Christianity, you guys, very unique, and a lot of people have a hard time with this. Scripture makes it very clear. This is really important to us. What's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is always drawing his audience to Jesus Christ. This is his entire purpose. The Holy Spirit is always drawing the audience to Jesus Christ. That's what he does, right? He draws us. We see in John 6, 56, it says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father has enabled him. No one can come to the Father unless the Father has enabled him. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Drawing you to him, to Jesus. Drawing you to him. That's what he does. He draws you. When you don't want to be drawn, he's drawing you to him. He draws us by convicting of us of our sin, John 16, 8. He says he will convict the world of guilt and regard to sin. He convicts you of your sin, draws you to the Son. Right? That's what the Spirit does. He draws you to the Son. Right? And then he says he brings you all, he brings Jesus all glory. Let me read you this verse. I don't want you to miss it, right? This is John 16, 13 through 14. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's his purpose. That's what he does, right? He makes Jesus known to man. He glorifies Jesus. He brings all truth to our mind. That truth is about Jesus Christ and that is how we get comforted. When we know the truth of Jesus Christ, it brings us great comfort. This is what he does. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes to us when we're saved. When we're saved, how do I get saved? Romans 10, 9, he says this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's resurrected from the dead and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, you will be saved. And then he says, when that happens, you go to Ephesians and you find out when you get the Holy Spirit. These are fundamental verses. The only reason I'm reading them, guys, is because this is, this is literally 
foundational to our faith. If you don't have this text and it's not core to what you understand, you're missing some critical things to help you understand and explain to other people what we believe. Foundational, when I believe in Jesus Christ, I accept him as Lord and believe in his resurrection, Jesus says, something's gonna happen, and this is what it is. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is critical. This is the time when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. He moves in. We now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is called our spiritual baptism. This has nothing to do with water. This is a spiritual baptism. You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's when it happens. The water is an outward sign. It's a confession publicly that that has occurred to you. It's not the water that makes that happen. It's the confession of faith of the Holy Spirit drawing you to that moment and confessing that and that deposit is a seal. So when you stand in heaven, you walk in the door and he's like, nope. Heart of a man, nothing, dude. Don't care what that logo is on your T-shirt. But the Holy Spirit, bang. Dang, that's good. This one's mine. Nate, you're mine. I see the Spirit in you. I can see him in you. You're sealed. Welcome home, son. That's what does it, you guys. That is a beautiful thing, isn't it? And you don't ever lose that. There's nothing you can do. You have eternal security after that moment happens. You cannot lose that. The only thing that that Jesus said was unforgivable. There's one sin that's unforgivable, and it's this. He said, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is the only sin I cannot forgive. Cannot. And why? Because when the Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus and says, this is your salvation for conviction of your sin, and you say, I don't buy that, and I don't believe it. You've now... You've now looked at the Holy Spirit and said, I'm blaspheming you. I don't believe who you are. And Jesus said, that I cannot forgive because that's your only way to eternal salvation. I sent him, he convicted you, and you said no. I'm done. There's nothing I can do. That's the unforgivable sin, you guys, and that's what he's talking about. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that's how we know we're one of God's children. How are we filled? Consuming and living out the word of God, you guys. This is how we get filled. The Bible is God's word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit through men who've written it down. And when we meditate on it and we let it control our thoughts and action, the Holy Spirit starts to come up in us and it consumes us and it fills us and it moves us and the fruit of the Spirit starts to merge and we start to look different. We start to behave different. We start to think differently. We start to act differently. Jesus says in John chapter 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. This is what he's talking about. He's saying if you abide in me, if you stay in me, well, who is he? In John chapter one, he says, Jesus is the word. He was the word. In the beginning, the word was with God. The word is God. Jesus is the word. This is Jesus. This word of God is him. This is him. And he's saying, abide in this thing. When you abide in this, it's going to fill you up. And you know what's going to come out of you? Fruit. And what's the fruit? It's fruit of the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit gets fed by my word. It's like spiritual nutrition for that plant inside of you. Feed it, fill it, put it in there, right? And you're saying, well, yeah, but I know these guys that just memorize the Bible and they're idiots, right? Like they're jerks. I don't like being around those guys. That is not what this scripture says. 
That's not what God means. He means when you eat my word and you consume my word, it takes over who you are when the Holy Spirit's there. That guy's a doer of the word, not just a thinker of the word. We talked about this last week. The man that lets himself be filled by God's word is moved to do what the word says. And he allows the Holy Spirit to speak to him. And there's this interchange that goes on. I'm eating the word. It's talking to me. I'm reading it. It says something to me. I stop. I move. I act. I change. I change direction. I hear it. It just moves my spirit. And I do something with that. And God says, that moment is when you start to become real. That's when the fruit starts to bear. That's when you start to change. Something in you happens that's different because you responded to the word of God. And you let it move. And it was the Holy Spirit that said, go do this. And you did it. And then you look back and God did something miraculous through you. And you were like, whoa, that was little, but that was huge. Because I didn't know God did that. And it may be something tiny, you know? I mean, like you gave somebody some food or changed somebody's oil, right? Or paid for groceries or you did something little. But the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you knew it. You knew it was him. It wasn't a voice You couldn't hear it. There was no vision. There was no big grandiose thing, but you're like, that was him. I know it was. And it felt something and you moved and you acted and God's like, bang. Now that bar just lowers a little bit more. And next time the Holy Spirit moves, doesn't take as much to move you. And then the next time he moves, it doesn't take any more. And pretty soon the Holy Spirit moves the hair on your head and you're just like, oh, Holy Spirit, I'm going to move. But we don't start there, do we? We usually start somewhere that looks more like a two by four. And he bang, and he's like, something just hit me. And he's like, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do there. And he's like, really? Wow, like, I, I, I mean, I made it really clear. Like, you're supposed to, you know, help the guy, you know, like pick him up. No, I'm not going to do that. That wasn't the God, right? And that, that's where most of us start. We doubt the voice in our head. We do, don't we? We doubt what we're hearing. We have fears, we have anxieties, we have predispositions, and we just don't move because we're not sure of the Holy Spirit. You know why that is? Because we haven't spent enough time in God's word. We can't distinguish between when he's speaking and when you're speaking, when your fear's taking over or when his word's taking over. You can't distinguish because you haven't had enough time and you need to spend time with him, right? You do, And you know the difference. When you start to spend time with God, his voice is clear, his direction is clear, you can move quicker, and the bar just gets lower and lower and lower for him to sink and you to move. That's the Holy Spirit, that's how he works. We live most of our life as believers without ever accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that most guys do. Most guys I talk to just don't access that Holy Spirit power in them at all. It's just sitting in there like a big, giant V8 twin turbo engine. Dying to run, man. This thing's ready to rock and roll. And you never push the gas, right? You never hit the pedal. You're just sitting there hanging on and driving along and idle, right? In low gear. And this thing's just sitting there ready to rip, man. It's like, come on, man. Touch the gas, dude. Wait till you see what's under the hood, right? And you never do. Why? Because something in our soul is holding us back. Listen to what he says in Galatians 5. So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other. They're in conflict with each other. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and he lists them all, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. He describes the difference. 
When we're in conflict with our natural self, we're constantly dealing with the Holy Spirit. We're knocking him down. Now I want to be comfortable today, man. I'm hungry. I want chicken, right? I need chicken. And you're so hungry, you can't even hear anything, right? You're driving like an idiot on the way to the chicken place. You've cut somebody off. You flipped in the bird, right? You're rude to the guy in line, right? I mean, you're just a complete idiot. And, and you're just like, but I'm hungry, man. Like, dude, let me go. Move, move away. Step away from me. I'm hungry. And God's like, yeah, I know. That's how you guys are. That's honestly what gets in our way a lot of times, guys. We just simply let the, the nature of our body, our sinful carnal self, get in the way of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, can you not do that? Can you let the fruit of the Spirit move you to a different place? Can you allow it to do that? And that's what I would say to you, right? What can you do this week to allow the Holy Spirit more access into your life? How do you get, give him more access into your life? And I would say one way to do that is start to get familiar with what blocks him in your life. What's the thing that gets in the way? When you're hungry, and you always want to eat, just move that out of the way one time. Literally, just move that out of the way and say, okay, I'm really hungry right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to move hungry out of the way and say, God, I'm hungry, but I'm going to move it out of the way so I can sit here and fast for a minute, maybe a couple hours. I'm not going to eat because I'm going to let you speak to me. And I'm not letting the stinking carnal body of mine run the show. I'm not letting him run the show. And that's one example where you take control and God's giving you the power to do that. You have that inside of you. What can you do this week to let the Holy Spirit have control and give him more access so that you can hear and act and respond to him? Last thing we see is the disciples witness to the world here. It was crazy cool, wasn't it, you guys? These guys are speaking. They're speaking these languages. They're known languages. In 1 Corinthians 14, if you've got confusion over uh, spiritual tongues and known languages. There's a lot of debate in this space. Don't get lost in that stuff, you guys. Simple thing to remember. It's really easy. I remember being in a prison, and we're there. I'm 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 like the only white guy in this prison, by the way. So they invite me in to go teach this thing, and I'm scared about that alone because I got all these other issues going on in my head. And I walk in there, and I'm like, oh my gosh! And the guy, the pastor next to me, goes, Hey, did you pray before you came in here? And I'm like, uh, No, man. I'm scared out of my wits. I just showed up. And he's like, are you stupid or what? You know, he's like, you're just getting ready to walk in the devil's lair and you're, you're not, you don't want people praying for you? And I'm like, no, no, you didn't tell me that, man. I just showed up, man. I'm just, so he makes me get up and give this gospel message, right, to these prisoners. And I get down, I got sweat pouring off me. I'm freaked out. I'm like, I don't know what I just did. That was crazy. And then some lady starts flopping on the floor. Like some lady that's with our group, she starts bouncing all over the floor and she's screaming and yelling. And I'm like, what, what's wrong with her? And some other guy puts his arm around me and goes, just ignore her, man. Just, it's all right. She, she does that when we get here. I'm like, I'd never seen that before. Guys, that stuff goes on. There's things people do that they think are spiritual. Some of it is, some of it isn't. The best way to discern is this. Did what that person say or do draw my heart and mind to Jesus Christ? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Simple. Did that draw my heart and mind to Jesus Christ? If it didn't, let it go. Just step out of the way and just, just let it go. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just let it go. That's something between them and God, right? That's between them and God. And I'm not saying there's not spiritual tongues that people speak. There are. And there's people that glorify God and bring glory to him. But there's times when it's all about them. But there's also times when guys like me stand up and talk and it's all about me. 
So, you know, you can get confused pretty quick. The question is, is it glorifying Jesus or is it not? And that's really the point of this text right here. These men got up and women got up and spoke and they gave proclaimed Christ in languages that were known languages to people all over the world. God said, welcome to my church. Watch me. In Genesis 11, Nimrod was building a tower and he said, let us make ourselves great. We need to make a name for ourselves. And they built a giant tower. And God came down and said, when man does that, he starts to proclaim his own name. He's going to do some really bad stuff. And that's when he caused the entire world to have different languages. And this is the reverse of that moment. Exactly now, the Holy Spirit with God comes back, causes these people to come together. Ecclesia, the church is now being brought together under the power of the Holy Spirit, people from all over, races, denominations. This was one heck of a diverse day, you guys, like you've never seen. And God unifies the church, brings them together under the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in different languages, and people are glorifying God. Some people wouldn't believe, but a lot of people did. The Holy Spirit works through Christians, drawing people to Jesus Christ. He works through you and I, drawing people to Jesus Christ, you guys. That's what he does. And you could see this in the lives of many people, right? I could tell you this. I was, uh, I was in BSF in, in the mid-90s with a bunch of guys, and, and um, we got kind of pulled into this project for this lady. Her name's Norma Shadroff, and Norma lived in a south side uh, uh, community, and her husband had just left her, literally abandoned her. Four kids. She's got young kids. She's a helping orphans in the neighborhood. She's literally living in a tiny house, and it's just falling destitute. And all of a sudden, these women get together, and they call our husbands and said, man, we got to help Norma. And I've never seen anything like this, you guys. These people pulling together, I've never seen it. Usually when that happens, we start fighting. The guys argue over the counters and who's going to do the carpentry and the women fight over the color of the drapes and the floor and it usually doesn't go well. It's usually a mess. That's not what happened. All these people, literally dozens and dozens of people come together. We start rebuilding this lady's house in a week. She's gone on vacation. In a week, this house gets built, over, overhauled, completely overhauled with people working in ways you'd never imagine, icing on the cake. One of the guys and I go get two more guys. We're raising money for the pregnancy center in that town. We're playing golf to do it. You got to play golf to raise money. So there's no other way. Um, so we're golfing. We're on a par three. You know what I'm getting ready to say. If you hit it in a hole in one, you win a car. One of the guys hits a seven iron, 173 yards, two bounces in the cup. And we're screaming, throwing our clubs. We're going ballistic. We're going nuts. He's won a car. We're just going crazy, right? He's on his knees crying. And I'm like, Steve, what's going on? He's like, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> this morning, my, my wife and I took our only car, our van, and we put a bow around it, and we parked it in Norma's driveway. And we don't have a car right now. We weren't sure how we were going to get one, but we felt the Holy Spirit tell us to give our van to Norma. And he just won a car. So golf is the only way to raise funny. <laughs> it's the moral of the story. The Holy Spirit moves in those kind of ways, you guys. He does. I'm telling you, he does. And the only question you got to ask yourself is how high of a bar do you set for him to move you? What will it take for you to lower the bar 
so that you can start to hear and respond to the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can watch Him work in supernatural ways to transform lives.